pressing forward. My topic for this morning is continuing the series of pressing forward. I believe that our God is at work in this place and he is calling his sons and daughters to press into him, to run hard after him, to press forward. If you read the Gospels and look at the accounts of Jesus encountering individuals, he constantly told people to get up and go after him. This is what Jesus did. He told Peter to get up and get out of the boat and to walk in the water towards him. He told a group of fishermen to get up, to leave their nets, to leave what they've known in lives and to follow him. He told this paralyzed man who had never walked, he said, get up and come and follow me. He told Lazarus, who was dead and buried, he said, Lazarus, come forth. Get up and walk in the light of life and come out and come after me. This is what Jesus does. He calls us to get up and go, to press forward into him and to pursue what he is calling us to do. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 tell us, this Apostle Paul, Spirit inspired him to write, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, there it is, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on, hear me here, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So if you belong to Jesus, and he has a calling on your life. It's called here an upward call, a high calling. And so if you belong to Jesus, then you have people to see. You have things to do, places to go for the glory of Jesus and to expand his kingdom. And so we must not just sit still or shrink back, but rather press forward. And may we Never be content with where we are at spiritually. Hear me. Be, never be content. Hunger for more. Never have enough. Maybe thinking, but the Bible says that we should be content. Well, it does. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So, yes, be content with your salary. Be content with who you are and be content with the life God's given to you. Absolutely be content in that sense. But that's not what I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about Never being content with where you are at in following Jesus. Never be content. Want more. So hunger for more. More of God's presence in your life. Hunger for more growth. For more holiness. For more freedom from your idols. More abundant life that Jesus has promised to give you. To see more of what God can do through you when you surrender to him. More, more of pressing forward in faith, more of running hard after 
Jesus and not shrinking back with insecurity or fear. And so for some of you this morning, you need to press forward and to overcome your fears that have left you paralyzed emotionally or spiritually. And you just think that God can't use you. God said he's going to speak to you. I pray the power of the Spirit and that you will be emboldened and you will resolve to not let those fears control you any longer and press forward trusting Jesus. Others of you need to overcome your spiritual laziness. You're just lazy. And you need to press forward and see more beauty, more glory, more joy in Jesus and push through that laziness and have spiritual breakthroughs and press forward every day. Others of you need to just surrender to what you know God is calling you to do. And don't pretend you know what I'm talking about. You do know. You know that, that calling that even right now God's Spirit's put in your mind? Yes, that one. Go fulfill it. Don't be afraid. Don't believe the lies that you can't or you're not good enough or you're not qualified or you don't know enough. Those are all lies from the enemy to keep you paralyzed and not pressing forward. My heart just beats so fast for you to see what God can do through you. You hear this? I want you to see, I want you to witness what God can do through you if you will Trust him and press forward. This is what we are talking about. He has purposes for you and for this church, and we must press forward. And so don't you give up, you step up. Don't think, oh, God can't use me. He can, and he wants to. He will. But others of you, if you're honest with yourself, that isn't your struggle. It's that you don't really want to press forward. Not interested in pressing forward. You just want to come on a Friday and check your religious box for the week. And maybe keep your wife happy or keep up the appearances. I don't know what the motivation is for you. But if you're honest with yourself, you don't really even desire. You don't really want to press forward. Maybe you're enjoying that sinful pattern a little bit too much and you don't really want to give it up. Maybe you have a lifestyle that you don't really want to give up, and you don't really want Jesus that bad. You don't really want to press forward because you think it'll cost you too much. And so you're content to live on the surface and not go deeper. But we sung that he is calling us to go deeper, and he calls you still to go deeper. And so if your heart has grown cold and you're here today, I pray that God's spirit will just overwhelm you and grip you and that you will be just in awe of Jesus today and that your heart will beat fast again for him and his kingdom and that you will have renewed desire to press forward because only he can change our wants as we focus on him. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't pretend to know, but I do know that God is speaking, that he is at work and he wants to reveal himself to you Today, he wants to grip you and to change you, to heal you, to liberate you, to empower you to press forward. So this morning, we're talking about how. 
What must I do? So how do I press forward in faith? So if you're taking notes, let's, let's begin here with this question. Practically speaking, what must I do? How do I press forward in faith? Let's look at that in Philippians 3, verses 17 through the end of the chapter. We'll also read Philippians 4, verse 1. That is a unit with the end of chapter 3. So Philippians 3, 17 through 4, 1. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So how do I press forward? We already have the call in the previous paragraph. Now in this one, Paul is explaining how to do it, how this works. Number one, how do I press forward? Number one, follow other godly people. You cannot do this alone. Don't even attempt to try this at home by yourself. You will fail. You have to follow with other godly people. Verse 17 The Apostle Paul commands those following Jesus. He says, join in imitating me. He commands them, imitate me. Imitation. That is the essence of discipleship. It's amazing. You can go to so many conferences, read so many books on church leadership and books on discipleship and just make your head spin on what exactly is discipleship and how do you do discipleship. And how, you know what it is? It's imitation. Let's just get it down to its minimum essentials here. This is what discipleship is. You can't follow Jesus by yourself. You can't become who he's calling you to be by yourself. You must follow him with other godly people. You will learn how to follow Jesus by having someone else show you. Having other believers that can hold your hand and say, Here, as I'm following Jesus, you follow along with me. We'll do this thing called life and pressing forward together. Discipleship is about personal investment. That's why he says here, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Discipleship is more caught than taught. Why we emphasize in our church things like home groups and discipleship groups where you have people that you were following Jesus very closely with that can speak truth into your life and you can learn how to follow him from each other. Personal investment. Let me give you the two main factors that will define who you will become. So who you will be will define large by, number one, what books you read. If you read nothing and you're reading no good books, that says a lot about you already. Read. 
read good books that point you to Christ. It's important to feed your heart and also your mind. Read good books. But the second factor is who you spend time with. So tell me what you're reading and tell me who you spend time with and I will tell you who you're going to become. First and foremost, spend time with Jesus by reading his word. That's where it starts. But it goes even beyond that. You need other people to pour into you. You must spend time with people, like Paul is saying here, that are going to influence you. People that you can follow their example. You can imitate. And so the method that Paul uses for discipleship is personal investment. He invested in guys like Timothy and Titus, but then he called them to invest in others to continue this discipleship chain where one person disciples and then they disciple and then they disciple and it just continues. And then a culture of discipleship takes root in a church. And guess where Paul learned this from? He learned it from Jesus, from the master. This is what Jesus did. He invested in 12 men. Sure, he preached to the crowds, but his primary investment was in a few men. Mark 3.14 says that he appointed the 12 that they may be with him. Being with him. They didn't even go to seminary. They learned from Jesus. Personal investment. This is how we make disciples. You hold your hand, show them how to do it. It's life on life. This is what it means to follow Jesus and to grow as a disciple. So who are you following? You say, I'm following Jesus. Well, yes, but who are you following alongside of as you follow Jesus? Who influences you? Who are you imitating? Do you realize that you're being influenced? Because you are. We all are being influenced by other people, but are we seeking people that we can go in intentional relationships with to follow Jesus together? We're told in verse 17, press forward, you must follow other godly people. Verses 18 through 19, Paul warns the church in Philippi about being careful about following people that will lead them away from Jesus. He calls them enemies of the cross. So he says, don't follow those examples. Follow godly examples. And Paul here, you can see he was so concerned, like deeply moved and concerned for his brothers and sisters. He says, I even tell you with tears. He's like emotional as he's trying to encourage the Philippian church to keep pressing forward with other people that will encourage them along the way. You see, being in a church is such a privilege. Do you see it as such? Do you realize what an honor and a joy it is to have a faith family, to have other people that are going to encourage you and help you as you press forward. The church is beautiful. When the church is working properly, it is just amazing. It is the display of the glory of God. When, when the church is functioning properly, what you see is the character of God. You see love, and you see truth, and forgiveness, and you see mercy, you see sacrificial service, you see unity. You're seeing what God is like when the church works properly. 
And that stands in opposition to our world that is marked by hate and lies and fear and selfishness, corruption and slander and envy. The church is the opposite of all of that because it's focused on Christ and being conformed to the image of Christ. And so the way this works is we encourage each other. And I believe if this church will embrace this truth of discipleship relationships and of encouraging one another, speaking truth to each other in love and receiving that truth, if this happens in this church, man, there's no limit. There's no limit to what New Life Church can do together for the glory of God if she's pressing forward with arms locked and hearts knit together where they're encouraging each other. God can do so much. And that's my heart's desire. You follow him with other godly people. Number two, you press forward by fostering awe for Jesus. You must foster awe. So you follow other godly people, and then you have to foster awe for Jesus. When I say foster, I'm talking about cultivating. I'm talking about developing, increasing, seeing a growth in your awe for Jesus. You're thinking, well, I don't really know what you mean by fostering awe. What do you mean awe? Well, God has wired each one of us for awe. We all want it. Our hearts long for awe. We all desire to, to do things or have things that make us feel alive, to be thrilled. We're all driven by this desire to be in awe, which is why you love to eat good food. You know what I'm talking about, right? When you go somewhere or your wife cooks or, or if you cook, your husband, whatever, but when, when you take that first bite of something that just tastes amazing, ever experienced that? where you feel it in your whole body, you're like, oh, this is so good. Where you're just in awe of what you just tasted. Why do we like to eat food like that? Because we want awe. Why do people spend so much money to go watch professional sporting events, to stand with, I don't know, other 100,000 people that are watching some guys running around with a ball? Why would we do that? We do it. Millions, if not billions across the planet do that. Why? Because the guys do things with that ball that's amazing. They, they do things that you can't do with the ball. Maybe you wish you could do, but you can. But they can, and you're in awe of it. And so you watch in awe, and you cheer on these guys with 100,000 people because you're part of something bigger than yourself, and you love being part of this big event, and you're in awe of what's going on around you. You're hungry for awe. Why do you want a luxury vehicle? Why do you want your house to have a lot of beautiful things in it? Why do you wear sparkly jewelry? Awe. You're hungry for it. Why do we climb mountains just to see the view? Awe. This is what we do. And more than we realize it, we are driven. We are being pulled by this way that God has wired our hearts to be in awe. And we want it. We want to be thrilled and to feel alive. 
You see, but God made us to marvel at him, to be in awe of Jesus. He ought to be a greatest source of all because we're talking about here essentially is worship, treasuring Jesus and being in awe of him. This is describing, one way of describing, capturing what it means to adore, to find your greatest treasure and joy and comfort and hope and meaning in Jesus. So do you want to press forward? You need to be in awe of Jesus. Foster greater awe of who he is. He must be your awe source. Because verse 19 here describes what it looks like when Jesus is not your primary source of awe. He says that you go on a destructive path, verse 19. This is a path of destruction, so it's self-centeredness where you don't recognize that you're going the wrong way. People are telling you, hey, you're going the wrong way. That's a dead end. You're like, nah, I got this. I got my GPS. You don't got this. You're going down the wrong path. The path of destruction, but you, you don't listen. You're not listening to people, and so you, you know it all already, and so you're going down your path, and it's the wrong one. It's destruction. But it also says God is their belly, and so God being your belly is not just food and involves food, but it's more than just food. This is describing all of our natural urges and impulses, desires, so for food, but also for sex or clothes or popularity or money or prestige or accomplishments, whatever it is, these desires that we can have, and it becomes your greatest treasure. You're in awe of those things, not of Jesus. He says glory in their shame. So instead of being ashamed, because we live in a world where there's no more shame, we don't even blush anymore. There's stuff on TV this should not be on TV. It should be. That's shameful. And yet we watch it and we laugh at it. Or we watch it and say, well, that's a good show. We just have to get past this and get past this and get past the sex. And if you get past all of that, then it's a really good show. You ought not be watching that show if you have to get past all of these things. It's shameful. And so we should not glory in things that are shameful. He says, your mind set on earthly things. Well, there's a thousand things that occupy your mind from work, laundry, children, shopping, you name it. What we're talking about here is not doing those things necessarily because we all have to do those things, but I'm talking about where your mind defaults all the time, what you find yourself focused on. And this goes beyond just what has your attention I'm talking about what has your affection. What is your mind set on? We read earlier in the gathering, Brother Gerald read from Jeremiah 2, verse 11 through 13. It's a powerful text. I could preach on just that, but we're in Philippians 3 at the moment, but it connects. God accuses people of committing two evils, it says in Jeremiah 2, 13. He says, you've done two things that are evil and it says heaven be shocked like this is a shocking unthinkable thing that could possibly happen and it says you have one forsaken me the fountain of living waters that's the first evil you have forsaken me living waters 
And two, he says, you have hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So a cistern was a large waterproof tank that was used to collect water for irrigation or if there was a drought. And so it was a storage of water. But God says, so instead of me, a fountain of living water, I'll give you life and fill you and satisfy you. Instead of me, you want this stagnant water in the cistern. He says, but it gets worse. The cistern is broken. So the water has all leaked out. So there is nothing in the cistern. It's empty. And so instead of me living water, what you want is an empty cistern. And so they've exchanged the glory of God for broken cisterns. This is unthinkable. Instead of enjoying God, who's made us for the, the most glorious being, who is majestic and creator, instead we're saying, no, I don't want that. It's like saying, I don't want that nice house with, with the AC. Instead, I, I will reject that, and I want to live in a small shack at the dump. I prefer that. I prefer the dump over what God has for me. They desired something else more than God. So they exchange life for death. No water is death. Empty, no fountain, no water, no cistern. It was broken. And so the cistern of sex is broken. The cistern of success and achievement is broken. The cistern, even of family, is broken. The cistern of possessions is broken. Cannot ultimately satisfy and does not bring life. All broken. No water, no living water, no lasting happiness. Only God is the fountain of living water. And only he can fill us and offers true life. And so he must be our primary source of awe. And you see a list in verses 19 of, of what it looks like to lose your taste for God, and to not be in awe of him. But then verses 20 and 21, he describes what it does look like to be in awe. And this passage describes the glory of Jesus, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. We're waiting for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He's describing the glory of our King Jesus. This text is designed to, to just begin to spark awe in us. It says that we live awaiting our Savior. We are waiting for him. We have a Savior who has supreme power and all authority to, to subject all things to himself. And so what you see here with God is as a creator, he has the natural right to rule over us. He made us. He owns us. We have his image. And so therefore, God has every right to rule over us just naturally as the creator. But God wanted more. He didn't want to rule over us just as a creator. He decided, he decreed that he would send his eternal son 
to become a human, to suffer with us and suffer for us and die the death that we deserve, resurrect powerfully, conquer sin and death, and then offer us redemption, freedom from our sin. He paid the redemption price. He paid the price to free a slave. And so he now owns you, not just because he made you, but because he redeemed you. And so the lamb, the the lion who's all-powerful is also the lamb. And so what we have here is indescribable glory. He has creator rights and he has redeemer rights. And this shows how deeply he loves you and wants you to enjoy him. So do you want to truly press forward? Do you want to really grow? Do you want to fulfill what God is calling you to do? Stand in awe of Jesus. Foster greater awe for him. Marvel at his majesty. Draw near to him. See him. Know him. And the spirit will create in you greater awe for him. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Number three, pressing forward. You must focus on eternity. Focus on eternity. And so you follow Jesus with other godly people. You must foster awe for Jesus and you focus on eternity. Your mind is set not on earthly things but on eternal things. So we just read verses 20 and 21. It reminds us that we're citizens of heaven. We belong to him. One day it says that he will return to complete our salvation. That we will be given, just like him, resurrected, glorious bodies. Just like the one that Jesus has right now. So for us to press forward, to have the motivation, the strength to press forward, we must keep our eyes fixed on eternal things, on eternity. So we live our lives in light of what is coming next, in light of eternity. So this changes everything. Do you realize this? That living your life in light of, not just right now, but living your life in light of what's coming in eternity will change your whole outlook on every area of your life. A few examples. Purity. So walking in a pure way with integrity. If If you are focused on what is coming next and you know where you're going to be, you know you belong to Jesus and that one day you're going to be resurrected and be holy and pure forever. Knowing what the story is going to end like gives you the courage and the hope to reach out for help, to get accountability. It it will give you the self-control to resist that temptation and that quick and easy temporary high. Because you know that Jesus is better. His promises are better. And you know where you're going. It also changes you in the sense of generosity. It will make you a more generous person. Because you realize what's happening in eternity. And so your heart desires to invest in eternity. And so you think, I could, I could have this car that's even nicer or an even bigger house. Or I can give more to the kingdom of God. And you realize that the, the things of this world don't really satisfy. And so you'll give more. You'll be a more generous person. And you'll want to give to eternal things like the kingdom of God. 
And so focus on eternity will create in you a more generous, sacrificial, giving heart. What about your relationships? Well, you will want to be reconciled with brothers and sisters because in case you didn't know, we're going to be together forever. We're going to be together for eternity. And so we, we got to figure out our differences. We have to get it right. We don't have the option of just casting off people and not seeking to be restored with our brothers and sisters. This is eternal. and What's at stake is, is the gospel's witness. And so having your life live a lot of eternity changes everything. It makes you more missional. It'll, it'll create in you a desire to go to your neighbor that you, don't, that you know doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't have these promises, who is not a citizen of heaven and doesn't know Jesus, who's not awaiting the Savior, who's lost and in darkness. And you'll want to go to that person and say, let me tell you about Jesus. Come with me on a Friday. You'll be more missional. If your mind is set on not earthly things, but on eternal things. So where is your mind set? Is your God your belly? Or do you hunger and, and really savor and enjoy the glory of Jesus? Are you pressing forward? Are you really? Are you really in your life pressing forward? Jesus loves you so deeply. He died for you and he offers you hope. And he's calling you. He wants to heal you and change you, free you, grow you, fill you with more hope. And he wants you to see how much he can do through you. Will you surrender to him? I love how this passage ends, Philippians 4, verse 1. This has been my prayer for New Life Church ever since February, whenever I knew that God was calling me and my family to go back to the U.S. I've been reading this and praying this for this faith family, Philippians 4, 1. Therefore, my brothers, therefore, New Life Church, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. New Life Church, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Don't you waver. Don't you lose hope. Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I have truly loved this church, and it really has such mixed emotions about leaving in a few weeks. But I know that God has tremendous plans for this faith family to continue telling its redemptive story. Stand firm. He is calling you to keep proclaiming this gospel. You stand firm and you keep pressing forward. Continue what has already been begun. 
because there are still more people in this city whose lives need to be changed. There are still marriages that need to be restored. There are people in bondage that have to experience the freedom of Jesus. There are people far from God that still need to come to know him. People that can come and join you with arms raised high, praising our God who is worthy and the lamb who was slain for every tribe, nation, and tongue. This is what this church is about, and I believe that she will continue to press forward. But it's going to be up to you to treasure Jesus and have more awe in who he is and what this world has to offer. And so if you're here today and you have never given your life to Jesus, and if you're honest with yourself, Not once have you ever realized that you're a sinner and that Jesus died for you and you want to today give your life to him because you are sensing today for the first time awe in who Jesus is. Come speak to me. I would love to pray with you after the service so you can know Jesus and you can continue pressing forward and following him with this amazing faith family. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we are in awe of you. We're in awe of who you are, what you have done to rescue us, and that you would call us to know you and to go forth to proclaim your good news and see more people know you as well. And so I pray right now in this moment for anyone that is being drawn by your spirit that they would repent of their sins and trust in you and I pray for New Life Church that she would not think eight years was sufficient but that she would press forward and stand firm in you the Lord and we pray for your glory in the name of our King Jesus Amen